Welcome to a special series of the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Price, Divorce and Empowerment Coach, who is the point of first contact and the leader of your divorce team, bringing all the professionals together to support you. From attorneys and mediators to financial experts to real estate and mortgage professionals, we'll be exploring how these specialized divorce professionals can support you. Through these conversations, we hope to provide valuable insights and information to empower women to make informed decisions and feel confident as they move forward in the divorce process. As a coach of your team, I'm in your corner, empowering you to be the master of your divorce while feeling confident, capable, and beautiful, stepping into the best chapter of your life. Join me in each of these episodes for practical advice, actionable tips, and insights to prepare you for this challenging time. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to the special Her Self-Expression Divorce Series. I'm Beverly Price, a Divorce and Empowerment Coach, and in this special series, I bring you experts from various fields to provide a comprehensive guide for you while you're navigating the divorce process. Whether you are a soon-to-be separated, separated, divorcing, or divorced woman, this information can help you. I have these questions to, for you to consider. Do you have a child with special needs? Do you know how having a child with special needs affects you in the divorce process and your settlement? Well, my guest today is Rebecca Stern. She is a certified professional mediator and an attorney. She is the founder of Pearl Mediation and she's going to talk with us today about navigating divorce when your child has special needs. Rebecca is a divorce and family mediator, and she's going to tell you all about what a mediator does as well. She's a strategic consultant, a special education parent advocate, and she's the founder of Pearl Mediation. She works across and throughout the U.S. with both amicable and high-conflict couples and is driven to change the divorce experience for families. She's a professional problem solver and navigates clients through the issues of custody, parenting, child support, spousal maintenance, property division, and has created right-fit special education plans for countless families. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's so good to have you here. I can't wait to learn everything about what you do. Hi, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And thank you so much for coming. I know you're recovering from COVID, and we are especially grateful because I know this probably isn't the first thing on your mind when coming back from COVID. On my mind every day, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to build a girl up. So, um, a lot of people don't know what mediation is. They think, when they think of divorce, that they should pick up the phone and just call an attorney and go straight into litigation. So, can you tell us a little bit about what mediation is and how does it differ from using an attorney? 
Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, the two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, okay. I recommend to all my mediation clients that they do have attorneys, individual attorneys, but okay. those attorneys shouldn't be some shark that's going to ramp up the process that, you know, is eager for litigation. They should be settlement minded and expect that their role is one of a review attorney so that we work together, sometimes even with the attorneys in the room with us. Um, or the Zoom room with us, um, to come up with what their agreement is going to be on every issue. And then they take that to their attorney, who is then going to file their official marital settlement agreement. And in terms of mediation, you know, I think people really just don't understand what the process is, what options are available to them. So I'm always interested in making sure that people understand what they're getting into before they put that cart before the horse and and go straight to talking to attorneys without really understanding the process first. Um, there's many different ways to get divorced. Um, probably the most simplified version is what I refer to as the kitchen table, where two people just, whether using things they've found online or what they think they know, sit down and try and put together an agreement themselves. I don't think that's the best way because they simply don't know what they don't know. They don't know right. what's needing to go into the agreement that's going to prevent complications in the future. At the mm -hmm. other extreme, there's litigation. A very small portion of cases actually go to litigation. Many more wind up um, you know, being negotiated between attorneys, in and out of court, but all of that can really be very expensive and you know, a lot of unnecessary heartache and drama and take a long time. So mediation is kind of in the middle, where we're trying to do things amicably if possible, to have the parties own their own outcome, come up with their own agreement, and then when they file for divorce, they file already having done all the homework, already with their agreement, which makes things much more expeditious. And there are a lot of different styles of mediation. Um, for me, I think of it as a very collaborative process, meaning we're gonna put a team together of people that are the right people to answer what the questions are in that particular given situation, and also very education and resource driven. My right. goal is really to help this couple be able to start their new chapter feeling empowered and on the right foot. They have their arms around the process. They know what their needs are, what their budget is. They know how things are going to work in the future. Because when you're at that moment where you're just starting the process, it's very overwhelming. No matter yes. who you are, no matter how simple or complicated, you know, how tumultuous the situation, it's overwhelming. You're about to mm -hmm. go through a complicated process that no one has ever taught you how to do before. So I kind of think of myself as that person who can help you understand what are all the right questions to ask and take things one bite at a time. And I want to do that in whatever way works for that unique situation. So sometimes we'll all meet together, sometimes we'll meet in private caucus from time to time if there are things we wanna discuss without everyone in the room together, and sometimes even completely by private caucus. If things are really tense, if there's any kind of power imbalance, we can often diffuse that by my just meeting one-on-one -on -one with each of you understanding what keeps you up at night, what the fears and the goals are, and then helping you share proposals with one another until we get to a full agreement on everything. Wow, I mean, what I do in divorce coaching aligns so much with what you do because I want women to go through the process empowered as well. Now, 
a you mentioned settlement-minded attorneys, and I know I get a lot of questions from women, and I refer them to a lot of experts. But how does a woman, if she doesn't come to someone like you or me first, how does she know who is a settlement-minded attorney versus who is a shark? I think you really get a good sense when you meet with an attorney, and you should meet with, I would say, three at the least to see the mm -hmm. difference and kind of do your right. homework. You want somebody you're comfortable with, but you also want to understand their process. Everything from how are they billing you? Do they take a retainer? Do they bill by a certain number of minutes? What happens when that retainer runs out so that you can budget for everything? To how do they work in the process? Try and get a feel for their strategy and their their way of doing things. One question that um, often I'll tell clients to ask as they're interviewing attorneys is, well, what if we get stuck? How mm -hmm. do you handle that? What exactly. if the other person won't come to the table? What if they're not responsive? What if they just won't agree to anything? How are you going to handle that? Because right. they should, there's no perfect answer, but how they answer that, I think, will give you a very good idea of that person's approach, and that can help you make a selection. Yeah, and I've heard so many people going through a divorce say that their partner isn't forthcoming with information, particularly the financial information, the documents, everything that's really needed to build a good kind of financial analyst before you go into any kind of legal process. So it sounds like um, it, my first thought would have been, well, that's, um, that's an attorney. They subpoena the documents. But um, it sounds like you have a way to get them as well. It's true that if you're going through a discovery process with your attorney, then the other party is going to be required to hand over certain information. Um, even then, it doesn't always necessarily happen the way that it should. But before we get to that point, hopefully to avoid that point, I often recommend that my clients work with a certified divorce financial analyst, something mm -hmm. that is critical and that people don't even necessarily know exists until they're yes. going through this. Um, that person can help you parse out all the financial pieces, collect all that information, value everything, so that then when you bring it into mediation to have that discussion, you know, if we're talking about property settlement, let's say, well, if you think about it like a puzzle and we're putting all the pieces together, we need to know what all the pieces are before we can mm -hmm. do that. Once we know what the pieces are, then we can go bit by bit and see where is their disagreement, what's the thing it's the hot button issue and how are we going right. to deal with it. But until we have all that information, it's, it's tough to, you know, fight for something if you don't know what you're fighting for. Um, and every single state has something, you know, it's called different in different places. I'm in New Jersey where it's called a case information statement. Some states call it a financial disclosure, financial affidavit, but every state when you file for divorce has one financial form that encompasses your entire marital financial life that you have to fill out and certify for the court you're being forthcoming about everything and that it's honest. So if we're facing a situation where one party is afraid the other isn't really going to be transparent about the finances, mm -hmm. 
maybe I'll meet with that person individually and stress to them that if they're not forthcoming about everything financially, they're going to have to fill out this form, sign it, provide it to the court. And if it's ever found out that they did try and hide something, that they weren't honest about all of their assets and liabilities, the judge is not going to be happy about that. And usually in most cases with a little bit of encouragement, you know, people are transparent about these things. Of course, there are always the outliers and the people who are, you know, not going to do that voluntarily. And like you said, then we may be going into a discovery process. We may need a forensic accountant to help unearth things. There are great forensic accountants out there. Um, but for every piece of the puzzle, so to speak, we want to get the right expert in there to help with those questions. It's just like, you know, you wouldn't have your roofer take care of your plumbing if you're fixing up your house. Exactly. It's the same thing here. I want to see people talking with divorce mortgage brokers, divorce accountants, divorce realtors, you know, divorce whoever- coaches. Always divorce coaches, because we want to tackle each issue the right way. And, you know, I always say I don't have the answers to all the questions, but I know where we can go find those answers. There's there's plenty, you know, that I can help you with and that I know. But if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you I don't know. And we're going to go right. ask right person because I want to make sure you have the information because that information is the key to feeling powerful as you move forward. Absolutely. And I think one of the questions I get asked frequently is, isn't what you do, isn't this team of all these experts much more expensive? Do I really need them? And my answer is, well, I can save you time, money, and pain. And I think a certified divorce financial analyst can and a mediator. We also are going to have a certified divorce financial analyst on our series, so you can learn more about that when when she's on in that series, too. So let's dive in a little bit to the special needs area. What do you as a mediator do differently when there's a divorce involving a child with special needs? Sure. So if a child doesn't have special needs, we're dealing with custody, we're building a parenting plan. If a child has a special need, it's going to be a much more comprehensive parenting plan. We're going to create a special needs parenting plan. So what does that mean? Well, if my child has any kind of diagnosis, let's say ADHD, for instance, and they have an IEP at school, You've gone through that process likely with your school district to have a meeting where you talk about what are the child's strengths and weaknesses and what are all the accommodations that need to be put in writing in their plan to best support them so they can Mm -hmm. access their education. We're going to do the same thing at home. We're going to create a plan that's filled with accommodations and anyone caring for that child needs to be on board with what the diagnosis is, what the child's needs are, and be capable of providing all of it. Because every child is different and you know maybe it's their diet, maybe it's how they deal with transitions, maybe they take medication. Whatever it may be, whatever parent or caregiver that child is with, those people need to understand Okay, if we're going to have a transition, you know, this is how Charlie needs to deal with that transition, so we're going to have to do this. 
and you put all the details of it right into the plan because then you can refer to it and if something's going off the rails maybe we need something done differently maybe somebody's not following the plan but at least this way we're going at it from a starting point of if you're spending time with this child you are giving them these supports that we already know are essential to their well-being how um how intensive does that interaction mean would you provide that to a sitter a babysitter that they have or are you talking about the spouse and family members that might spend longer periods of time with the child? I would say we're talking about the people that are gonna be spending significant amounts okay. of parenting time with the child, but that it's also on that parent to then share that information with anyone whose care they're gonna leave their child Grandparents in. and exactly. aunts and uncles and, and stuff family, like that. Everybody has to be on board. And we're going to approach really their whole agreement differently because of these special considerations, whatever they may be. So custody, parenting time, emancipation, all of those issues are going to come up in a way that's specific to what is going to help that child thrive. I also um, want to stress to our audience that another critical component with children with special needs is an estate planning attorney who can create wills um, and trusts and ways to financially take care of a child in case the parent dies. So that's an, another integral component when you're working with a child with special needs. Definitely. Um, you know, whether it's a trust in the state's attorney, a special needs financial planner, these are other experts that we're definitely going to bring into the picture to help plan for that child's future financial security. Um, because there are so many different ways to set things up. And sometimes people hear a word like trust and they think, oh, we don't have that kind of money. We don't need to do that. But it's actually those situations where it can be extremely helpful to plan for the future in that way. Um, I'll give you one example, something called an ABLE account. Most people have heard of a 529 savings plan for college. Right. You know, to be shielded from taxes and you can save money to send your kids to post-secondary education with this money that you've set aside. If you have a child who has any kind of diagnosed special need, rather than a 529, you may want to consider an ABLE account. It's very similar. There's the same kind of tax protection, but it has a broader range of things you can use it for. It's not just for tuition. It has to do with all different kinds of expenses that are part of the child's overall lifestyle and need. Gotcha. And then something like that can even be put inside a trust protected for the child. And gotcha. you may want to create a trust if that child's disability is such that they're receiving disability benefits. There are a lot of hoops you have to jump through to make that happen. And there are restrictions on how much income or money set aside that child can have to be able to qualify for disability benefits. But if you put them in the right kind of a trust, then you'll be able to protect them. So all those kinds of things, you're going to want to talk again to the right kind of financial professional who understands all of that, can help you set things up the best way for your family, maybe make sure things like that you're you and your you know, soon-to-be ex are both custodians on these accounts, that nobody's taking distribution without written consent from the other, all gotcha. those important details that need to be put in place. Boy, that is so important. 
So I'm curious, how did you get involved with working with parents who have special needs children? Well, like a lot of us in this space, I think I feel I'm always wearing two hats, the professional and the personal, um, because I help clients with it every day, but I really have such a passion for all of it because I've been through so much of it myself. And for me, I have two boys. My older son has high-functioning autism, and I went through the whole special education process with him and saw how you know, the family law system and the special education system are both, unfortunately, kind of broken in a lot of the same ways. And right. in order to really get through them and make them work for you, you need to be a strong advocate for yourself, for your child. You need to get really informed about how these things work so you know the best way to get through them without them making things worse and instead seeing them as an opportunity for you to be able to establish how you're going to do things going forward. Yes, one of the things I work with clients on is how to be an advocate and how to step forward and use your voice and speak for yourself, speak for your child. So that's really important. So um, what areas in a marital settlement might be impacted by a child with special needs? I would say a great portion of your agreement is going to be impacted. When we're talking about children, and you know, I always like to talk about the children before we get to the money, when I'm dealing with a, a family that has kids and especially special needs, because we want to see what do we need before we worry about the arguments of who's going to pay for what. Um, but we start with custody, legal and physical custody. There are two kinds. And when we're talking about legal custody, we're talking decision making. You know, right. one or both parents being involved in the major health, medical, education decisions for that child. So when it comes to those decisions, maybe one parent has been more on the front lines of dealing with all that, has been involved with the special education system, for instance, and maybe that parent then... Even if you are doing joint legal custody, maybe one of the parents wants to carve out an exception of an area where if there's some disagreement, that one parent is going to get the final say. I find that comes up a lot in making education decisions. Right. Um, because often both parents want to be involved, but one parent really has a lot more of the information and is better able to make some of those decisions. So sometimes it'll come up in that way. When it comes does to it, physical, oh, sorry, go ahead. Does, is that, um, would medical decisions be kind of included in that? Absolutely. You're going to have okay. to decide if those are being made just by one parent or by both of you together. What are you going to do if you disagree? All of those things have to be talked about when we're in mediation together. And then when we're talking about actual physical custody, where is the child going to live? What does the schedule look like if they're getting time with both parents? How much time and when? How are we structuring that? And all the details of that schedule are going to be dependent always upon what's best for the child. And as parents, sometimes it's hard to separate what seems like it's best for everyone or what's the way we've been doing things in the past from what's actually in your child's best interest. So we'll try and parse that out and really create something that's best for the child or the children. Um, then, you know, we get into things like child support and emancipation. When is your child considered an adult? Mm -hmm. And in most states, it's either 18 or 19, or in some, it's 23 if they're going to graduate college. 
But for a child with some sort of handicap, you don't know necessarily when right. they're able to support themselves, if ever, you know, and be completely independent. So we have to talk about that because there's an exception in emancipation for a child with special needs who may not be at that point at that expected moment in time. And that ties into child support because we all have an obligation to, at some level, support our children financially, and that ends at emancipation. So is your child going to be okay if they are emancipated at that particular age, or do we need to extend it? Or may they not actually be independent in that way at all? Maybe it's someone who's going to need to be a dependent that we need to plan for for the rest of their lives. So it comes up there as well. And, and throughout the agreement, there may be shared expenses that are shared at a certain rate, depending upon the disparity between the two parties' incomes. But what if things aren't the usual? What if there's some extraordinary expense? And sometimes it's hard to anticipate those. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, a good example could be right now, your child is in public school. So we're not talking about a tuition. What if down the road things take a turn and they need a therapeutic environment or you know something that requires a whole lot more in the way of paying for school and paying for care? Right. How are we going to share those expensive expenses? Where is that money coming from? So that's going to come up at well as well. And it you know it goes on and on. As you can imagine, if people are going through a divorce, they haven't in all likelihood, agreed on everything in the past. So, you know, we don't want to assume they're going to agree on things in the future. So we want to plan for it now so that then it goes smoothly when these things come up ahead. Gotcha. What, um, what falls under the umbrella of special needs? What kind of uh, situations, conditions? How do you determine that this couple needs special uh, special needs planning is what i'm trying to say <laughs> great question even even the terminology itself is something that's hotly debated right. you know i i use the term special needs and i talk about a child having special needs but if you talk to 10 people in this space they may give you 10 different answers some people okay. like to say H, a special needs child some people don't like the term special needs it's really very personal so i always try to just focus on whatever it is that makes that person comfortable it's their life we want to use terms that make them feel comfortable and we want to define things in a way that feels good to them if we were in a school setting talking about special education needs there are 14 different classifications that would entitle a child to special education and related services. And they range from things like, you know, ADHD we mentioned, just is one that comes up a lot, all the way up to someone on the autism spectrum, someone who has a physical disability of some sort, a learning disability. All these things would qualify them in a school setting. If you're talking about getting disability benefits, there's a whole other set of criteria there. For our purposes, I think it's really whenever a child is going to need something that we wouldn't normally be talking about, that's a little bit extra, that everybody acknowledges they are going to need to thrive. And when you're building your own agreement, just like any other topic, it's really essentially whatever the parties agree on. So we're going to talk about all these things, and if they're in disagreement, we're going to talk about, well, how would we resolve that disagreement? Gotcha. 
So um, when to go dive a little bit deeper into this idea that the parents can disagree, um, how do you handle that? Um, you know, how do you how do you support them? How do you how does it affect the mediation process or the special needs planning? Because it seems like, from my experience, while I think I saw some statistics that only 5% of divorces actually go to litigation. So even if a divorce is amicable, it seems like with the emotions involved, disagreements can still happen. Absolutely. So how, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we use the word amicable a lot and it yeah. kind of makes me smile because even if it's amicable, that doesn't mean there aren't disagreements, there aren't things we need to find creative solutions for. Right. Um, one example of a solution that I like to use a lot in agreements, especially if we're talking about a child with a special need, is if the parties disagree, they can agree to use the recommendation of a licensed qualified clinical professional that they've mutually agreed upon. So in other words, if two people can't come together and say, okay, we're both on board completely with what services this child needs, at least maybe we can get them to come together on somebody else whose opinion they would trust, who's a professional in the space. Gotcha. Say there's been a therapist perhaps in their lives that you know mm -hmm. for years has been giving them clinical advice that they've relied upon, well, let's continue doing that in the future. Maybe it's that person, maybe it's somebody else that we're both going to agree on. But, you know, if Dr. So-and-so says that Charlie needs this, okay, fine, then we're both going to say Charlie needs this. Finding some way where they don't necessarily have to think the same and be aligned on everything, but they're going to have some go-to solution when that happens. That's awesome. Um, one of the things I see in, in my coaching practice is that a lot of women come to divorce kind of beaten down and uh, have listened to their husbands, have kind of let their husbands be in charge of financial decisions and other decisions. And so they don't necessarily have that internal strength or voice to stand up for what they think is right, they kind of shrink. How, if you encountered someone like this in the process, how would you work with them? I'm gonna laugh if I've encountered because it's too often, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, I, I hate to stereotype because it's not always the man, it's not always the husband, sometimes it is flipped the other way around, but right. I would say more often than not, there is some sort of power imbalance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and very often it is the woman who has stayed at home and raised the children and maybe sidelined her career in so doing. And let's say her husband's been in charge of the finances. He already has the knowledge to know what the finances look like, what's needed in the budget, where the assets are, all of these things. And she can feel quite disadvantaged. So in order for them to really come to an agreement that's equitable, we need to get rid of that power imbalance. Yes. And that means education. 
that means any person, whether it's the wife or the husband, who you know doesn't know about these things, they're going to get an education in all of it. They are all of a sudden going to understand everything they've ever <laughs> imagined people know about right, right. this account. You know, they're going to know their budget. They're going to know all of the investments. They're going to understand the whole process. They have to. Otherwise, it's it's not an equitable discussion. They're not going to have an equitable agreement. And the person who is more informed, they should really want that other party to have all the same information and the reason it's so important is why are we writing these agreements we want them to stick we want them to be enduring Mm -hmm. agreements and they're not going to be unless you buy into it and believe that it was equitable instead down the road even if you've signed something if you don't believe it you're not going to do it so mm-hmm. we want to come up with something that everybody can sleep peacefully at night knowing, okay, I had all the information. I made the best decisions I could at the time. That's what we're really striving for. Yeah, I work with a lot of women that I, uh, we work on the, the concept of if it's in the future and I look back on this divorce, that I stood up for myself and my children and did the absolute best that I could just like you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's Absolutely. important. Yeah. So um, when, I, when I talk to a woman that's thinking about divorce and not even sure if she wants one, but she needs some help weighing that, and we talk about what the divorce process kind of looks like, my suggestion to her are the first two people to contact are a coach and the certified divorce financial analyst. When should a woman or a person seek you out, seek a mediator out, and do you represent one of the parties or both? Great question. And I agree with you 100%. A coach and a certified divorce financial analyst are great first steps because that's where you're going to learn a lot about the process. You're going to analyze where you are, what you want, what you don't want, what those goals and fears are, and you're going to get your arms around the finances. Right. Um, I think understanding what process you want to go into once you learn about the process is your next step. So if you haven't talked to a mediator by then, that's also a good idea. But I think you have to remember that talking to someone and asking questions is never a bad idea. Exactly. You can talk to an attorney, talk to a mediator, talk to an accountant at any point. You're getting information. And even if you're not going to leave the marriage, that information can help you make those decisions soundly. So I think getting information is never a problem. I, you know, I, I definitely have encountered a lot of people who are afraid to go get the information, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, sometimes women who are feeling less empowered in their situation, they may be afraid. I don't want to talk to somebody that might set him off. That might exactly. make things worse. And I encourage anyone who's thinking those things to really think about that. If you are afraid that you don't want him to know you are educating yourself, what does that tell you? That is not a good thing <laughs> and well it speaks and, to your power imbalance you exactly know. exactly right. you want to get all that information as soon as possible and when you're ready if you're ready to start a process 
then, you know, you do that either when the time is right or if you have to because of whatever action the other party is taking. But information gathering is always a good thing at any time. And as for my role as a mediator, I work with both parties and I am a neutral. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I am not going to advocate for one party over another. I'm going to do my best to get you guys to an equitable agreement when I'm working with you as a mediator. I do from time to time work just with one party, but in that case, I'd be hired to be a strategic consultant. And we would do a lot of the same work and come up with proposals. And, you know, I walk you through each part of the process kind of behind the scenes. Gotcha. But most of the time, I'm working as a dispute resolution neutral with both of the parties. Okay. Um, yeah, you just brought up a term that I wonder if people know about, dispute resolution. I've mm -hmm. seen... Um, I've seen the terms alternative dispute resolution. Can you educate us a little bit on what those mean? To me, they're very much interchangeable. We're really there to help you work out whatever disagreements there are and whatever you know terms should go in your agreement that maybe you don't necessarily know should go in your agreement and help educate you about that. But we're there to bring you guys to the table in whatever way works best for you to come up with a lasting agreement. Gotcha. So um, since our audience is women, um, can you help share what three actionable steps women could take immediately to um, enhance their process in the divorce? What are three tips you give? Sure. I would say um, step number one, we've talked about a lot already. It's building your team. Right. It's getting a great support team behind you in all the different ways we have talked about so that you're getting that education. And so you feel you're not alone. So you have people who are supporting you through every step of that process. You know, if you have a coach that, you know, you know is making you feel empowered and is giving you that information, maybe you're talking to a therapist and figuring yourself mm -hmm. out a bit. Um, you know, getting the financial education, getting a mediator to work on the process with you, picking the right attorney, help having this whole group of people behind you so that you don't feel like you're just floundering and making sure it's the right team that truly have your best interests at heart, I think is absolutely critical to the overall process. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, in more of a mindset kind of way, a colleague of mine had a phrase recently that I, that I stole because I love it so much. It's um, you can control 100 percent of your 50 percent of this situation. Okay. <laughs> I think keeping that in mind is also key because there are going to be things that happen that we cannot control. Big decisions, the way that, you know, maybe if it's, a, you know, a, a soon-to-be former spouse who is not going about the process the way you wish they would, or who is not co-parenting the way you wish they would, letting go of that and accepting this is the situation and keeping my yeah. side of the street clean is what I can control. My reactions to things are what I can control. And letting go of any notion that anything you are going to say or do is going to make him, in this case, change the way he's doing something. 
that's really important because that sometimes can keep us very, very stuck. We need to accept what is and control the things that are within our control. Yeah, the other thing I like to say is do some work so that your emotions don't hijack you. Absolutely. Let your emotions kind of lead you as opposed to, you know, your thinking lead you. And that's extremely hard to separate that. To separate those, exactly. Separating the emotion from the homework of divorce, it's just key. It is. And whether that means your coach, your therapist, your girlfriends, the hike you're going to go take, whatever you need to do to be able to separate separate those things is so Mm -hmm. important. Because we're never supposed to make big decisions when we're in a heightened emotional state. You want to be able to be calm, never make a decision in the heat of the moment, never feel pressure, sleep on it, think it through, be in a good headspace when you're making these choices. Um, And then I I would say the third thing I could think of is that you don't want to live your life revolving around your divorce. And Mm. when you are in a divorce... It's kind of impossible not to do that. <laughs> it right. This thing that's going on. But you want to make sure you remember that this is a moment in time. This yes. is a mountain to climb, but you're going to get there. And when you get there, you have the whole rest of your life ahead of you. And it gets to be whatever you want it to be, whatever yes. you're going to make it. So as as much as this probably sounds crazy to somebody who's right in the weeds of it, this is an opportunity you're going to overcome this and whatever comes next, that's on you and it can be amazing. So mm-hmm. realizing that it is just a moment in time, it is a struggle. It's something you're over going gonna to overcome and things are going to be different and they can be incredible. And it's not going to be that you have a life that's about the fact that you got divorced. It's, I got divorced and now look at my life. Right. Absolutely. And the, the other piece that I would advise them is if they have um, intense emotions blaming the other party, if they have intense resentments, um, that, those are things that have to be worked out first because those will only make your process more painful, take longer, and be more expensive. So it's not going to get you where you want. Absolutely. I would I would say every single case that winds up taking years and years and people are torturing each other through attorneys, that's about emotions. Yes. It really is. Because um, the homework, honestly, is not that terribly complicated, especially if you're going out and finding great professionals who know how to sort through those things. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need to find that place of acceptance, and you need to deal with all of the heated emotions and the anger and the resentments and the sadness. And let yourself feel whatever you need to feel. You know, you need mm-hmm. to go through a mourning process and a self-discovery right. process. So let yourself do those things because it's essential to getting to a healthy new chapter. Absolutely. Rebecca, you have shared so much information. This has been fabulous. How can our listeners find you if they want to learn more? Absolutely. They can find me on my website, www.rebecca.com 
Stern, S-T-E-R-N.com. They can email me at Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, at PearlMediation.com. Or they can find me through you. Awesome. That's beautiful. So do you have anything you'd like to share that I've neglected to ask you about? Um, anything you'd like to share with the women out there? Honestly, I think you, you put a lot of it very well. I think reaching out to a coach, a CDFA, a mediator, and knowing that you have to deal with the emotions and that you have to do away with any power imbalance that exists. Right. And, you know, really getting the support that you need in every which way is key. And I hope that a lot of women do reach out and talk to a coach and discover how wonderful that can be because you really do want to come out of the process not feeling beaten down from it like it was something right. that happened to you, but something where you found the empowerment to really start over fresh in better ways that you didn't even know were possible. Yeah, I like to think of it as a springboard to a new life. Yeah, Absolutely. I love that. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with me today. I just absolutely loved it, and I think what you shared is going to help so many women. Thanks so much for doing all this and having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, all of Rebecca's information will be available in the show notes along with mine, and you can find them at herselfexpression.com on the podcast page. Thank you for being with us on this episode of the special Her Self-Expression Divorce Expert Series. Join me for the next episode in this series where we'll be diving deeper into what other expert professionals can do for you. Thank you for joining us today and take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Her Empowered Divorce Expert Series. I hope that you found the information we shared to be eye-opening and useful. I'm Beverly Price, and through my divorce and empowerment coaching, I serve as the leader of your divorce team, helping you to build self-esteem, knowledge, and emotional strength, as well as skills in communication, negotiation, and conflict resolution. If this sounds interesting to you, let's talk. Go to HerEmpowereddivorce.com and request a divorce breakthrough session. As you talk with me, you will discover that I can assemble the most effective team and create a custom one-on-one -on -one coaching solution just for you. You can find this episode, blog posts, resources, and more at HerEmpowereddivorce.com. Now look for our other Divorce Expert Series episodes coming soon. Take care.